0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran Hannibal, Missouri born jazz drummer and educator Marty Morrison. Currently, he's on the jazz studies faculty at Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri, but is a regular on the Kansas City scene. He knows a thing or two about big cities and spent some time in Washington, D.C., and he lauds Kansas City for the strength of its scene that keeps on getting better and better. He was surrounded by jazz from a very early age, and his journey in the craft has been full of collaborations with countless jazz luminaries, and that continues to this very day. Enjoy the story.
1: Man, this has been a long time coming. I've seen you gig so many times between oh. Blue Room and other other venues in Kansas City. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Okay, yes, nice uh, speaking with you, too. Do you play? No, I'm just, I got my radio show. I'm an admirer from afar. I'm already a busybody enough, so it's better that I'm an admirer.
2: Was was that you that was at Black Dolphin that night? And I was leaving, and we spoke briefly. You somebody had a camera?
1: Yeah, I think it probably was me.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool.
1: We're in this time right now where we're on the other side of COVID. There's a lot of live gigs going on. Talk to me a little bit about what's going on with you lately.
2: I teach at Missouri State University. So, you know, when I come to KC, it's it's a two and a half hour drive, and I kind of have to do that because I need to play. I just have to. Some people ask me how I, how I make that drive all the time, and it's meditative, and I've got that route memorized by now. You know, me with me now. You know, um, we're at the end of a sixteen week semester. We're like in the week. I think next week is week thirteen, maybe. And I've been out of. I've been Somewhere out of town every weekend, so I've not had a day off since the semester started, other than driving back home from someplace on Sunday. That's what I'm doing. I teach here, and then when, in between semesters and then the summers, I'm out playing someplace all the time. And I'm I'm really glad that we're on the on the other side of this pandemic. It's been pretty rough for live music, you know.
1: Yeah, it yeah, that, certainly has been. Yeah. Well, and you know, you've seen it from both sides as a performer and as a Um, as an educator. And and my question is during this time of, you know, reflecting on your life and what's going on, what have you realized about yourself that maybe you didn't realize before that's going to make you stronger as you do head out and have more gigs and do more out in the public?
2: That lockdown was good for me because I practiced a lot, you know, and I'm, I was thankful to to have that. If I didn't have my instrument at home with me, I might have, completely gone crazy i mean my my house already looks like an orangutan lives there <laughs> you know but <laughs> but uh that's a good question i mean i've just i'm thankful and and i'll tell you i, I did a handful of live streams when the pandemic was going on but this is just not the same you know um there's uh, uh, some kind of coldness with that that's compared to like you know getting to play at a club when when you can feed off of the energy of the uh of the audience being there because the music definitely needs the audience really to come alive that's not anything that i didn't know before but you know not being able to play regularly and then when i did play playing live streams and now coming back to this it's, it's refreshing and it feels good And i mean i guess there was just something that i'd always taken for granted Who who would have ever envisioned what went on when the pandemic started till now, you know, that this was, we were gonna have to live through this, you know, so. I'll tell you another thing too, it's like a, I'm a jazz studies professor here, and part of my assignment here is teaching jazz appreciation classes to non-music majors. Doing that online was really hard because uh, my mission in teaching that class or that subject to non-music majors This whole uh, uh, jazz art form, is uh, there's a lot of wisdom for for our culture through the lens of the art, so my uh, goal in that class is to maybe talk about what it actually means to be an American through the lens of the art that America created, you know what I mean? And doing that online was almost impossible because I have to trick these kids into learning something. And, and we're living through a really curious time now, With uh, particularly in the post-George Floyd world. It seems that some learning institutions and places have wanted to uh, commit themselves to, to uh, recognizing our diverse culture, and there's nothing that reflects that more than this art form that came from all these people that, that came here from all around the world you know we created this art so that's been something that's been good for me since you know I taught online for x number of semesters what was it three or four semesters and now I'm back in person and it's it's way better you know that's been rough and you know that that um class is is really telling that you know I'm I'm teaching in Missouri and Miles Davis and uh Charlie Parker are both from like Kansas City and St. Louis and these kids come here from kansas city and st louis and they've never heard of those guys there's a challenge and i'm not trying to uh turn people into jazz fans or anything i just want them to recognize you know our uh heritage here with how uh particularly st louis and kansas city have really been really important in the development of the music you know there's a lot of guys from missouri (laughs) you know so
1: so, what's it like to come up to Kansas City? What, what do you, what's your feeling on the crowds? Why do you like oh, to man. keep coming back to Kansas
2: City? Oh, it's awesome, man! I I lived on the East Coast for years, from like oh ninety six to two thousand seven. And during that time out there, I I lived in Washington D C., but I was all over the Eastern Seaboard, and I got to travel abroad a lot. And what is that? Maybe a let ten, eleven, or twelve years. This might be hard to fathom, but all that time I was there. I played more than 30 gigs a month every month, and I moved back here, and there's not a music scene anywhere like the East Coast anywhere in um, Missouri except Kansas City. Yeah, I, I love coming there, and like uh, my best friends live there. It's not just uh, my, my trip. When I come up there to play, I mean, of course, there's some great places to play. There's a bunch of killing musicians there. I mean, I could just start naming guys. And I'd I'd run. It'd take me uh, several hours to name everybody. Probably when I go there. It's it's more than uh, playing music. When music brings me there, but I mean, I get to see my best friends uh, when I come into the city. That, that town's got some kind of electricity happening with it, and you can feel it. And I don't. There's no place else. Uh, sorry, St. Louis, but there's not. There's not as uh, a jazz scene anywhere. Like Kansas City in the Midwest for for playing jazz, you know. Now maybe we're talking about jazz and not just live music. So yeah, that's it's great to come there. I don't know what else to say about that. And and you know, generally, guys that are out gigging, a lot of us have to play a lot of gigs just to make a living. And then there are gigs that we play just for the sake of music. And I've been fortunate that when I come, I'm usually playing some gig for the sake of music. It's not like a wedding reception or background music at a restaurant or something usually it's like at a real jazz club and there seems to be several of places in kansas city where people come out just to hear the music it's great i mean i live here in springfield it's certainly not happening here you know so
1: yeah well Mm -hmm. you're originally from Hannibal, correct right yep okay talk to me a little bit about your childhood in the land of mark
2: twain and and how you know music and jazz became your life my um situation is really unique and uh, uh not just my home situation but that I've come from a home from a musical town from a musical home in the little town that I'm from so my dad's a musician and uh he's 85 years old his name's Bill Morrison and I still play gigs with him he taught me how to play he and the guys that that uh he played music with and so from the time I was a little kid you know he was He's got all the records that all the jazz people have, Miles Davis and Oscar Peterson and uh, Chick Corea, Herbie Hancock, I heard uh Jimmy Smith, uh, all the organ players. But incidentally, he plays B3 and he plays piano. So he doesn't play much organ anymore. A few years ago, he had a stroke that affected his uh, the way he was playing the organ pedals. So, but I grew, up, I grew up around that, and so he was out... And it was weird, like to see it back in the '70s when I was a kid. There were places that those guys would play around Quincy, Illinois, and every now and then someplace in Hannibal. And I don't think that's happening anymore now. But there was a handful of guys that were always over at our house playing with him. And those guys were like my gurus, you know. So uh, I don't, uh, and I don't know. Maybe I was third or fourth grade before I realized that every kid didn't go home and play music with their family. Seriously. So so that that's how I ended up playing. Uh, there was a guy that played drums with my dad named Cleet Webster. He was from Quincy and he had spent some time on the West Coast. He went to school in LA back in the 50s and turns out he and Charlie Hayden were roommates in college for a while. He ends up moving back to Quincy area, and uh, he was kind of my musical. uh, He was like Yoda, kinda, for me, you know. And I I was I I was forced to grow up around those guys, you know. So that's what got me started, and I always had known this is what I wanted to do. So,
1: what was the first live jazz show you saw that really made you think, man, I'd love to do that someday?
2: Well, I'd been seeing these guys play in my living room from the time I was probably in diapers before i can so i've been around that but let me think about that um this probably would never happen again the way it did back then but what was it uh first day of school and i was in eighth grade i went home from school and my dad's like i got a surprise for you so we get in the car in hannibal and you and it, you know hannibal's right on the mississippi river so you drive across the river and you're in quincy illinois we drove to quincy and went in, and went into this bar and the buddy rich band was there and i was wow Thirteen or something, and the guy that was that played drums with my dad that I called my teacher, but my my lessons were him, with him were more like sitting and talking about stuff. He had a seat right in front of the drum. so I sit there through the whole gig. It was in a bar; it wasn't even like a concert. They were like playing in a bar, and I'm looking back. He must have been traveling from some place and they picked up a gig between cities or something, but. That and uh, let me see what else, um when I was uh yeah, the next year, I was in ninth grade Dizzy Gillespie came to Hannibal, the arts council got him there, and he had some some young guys, I think Dizzy was maybe in his early sixties at the time, and he had some guys that had just graduated from Berkeley that were playing with him, and that drummer still around his name was Tommy Campbell, great drummer, he's still playing. Uh, and I just saw a live stream from Smalls with the guy that was playing guitar with him then. Uh, his name's Ed Cherry. I don't remember who was playing bass, but that really did me in when I, when I got to see Tommy Campbell play because he was playing all the kind of more modern jazz drumming that I had been listening to on records like and fusion drumming at the time, like Tony Williams and Billy Cobham and Lenny White. He had that whole fusion thing happening, and, and he was swinging. So Those might have been uh two of the earliest really high level uh concerts i'd seen when i was young
1: yeah what about big names veterans that you played with anybody that really really taught you some
2: things that you've remembered all these years and in turn have taught oh your yeah students one of the first gigs i had like that was with marcus roberts and uh, I learned at that point. I learned why there was a big difference between what those guys were doing and what I was doing. <laughs> I, I had to, I had to step my game up in terms of of uh, the attention to detail that guys on that level uh, play with, you know. And 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 there's a lot of guys on that level. There's a lot of guys on that level in Kansas City that they might not have a national name, but you know, they're and and p- people that have their art refined. To that level, there's a certain level of dedication that they have. there's a certain level of humility that they take into um what they have to do to ascend in their art. There's a certain level of discipline when I was playing with Marcus, he had just left went Marsalis' band, and you know he had. I listened to a lot of those records that he was on, there was a, and, and a, I loved hearing him play with Jeff Tane Watts and Herlin Riley, and there's an album, it might be Marcus's second album, album called The Truth is Spoken Here that Elvin Jones is on. So he'd already played with these great drummers, so when I went to play with him, he was very blunt in explaining to me what I needed to do and what I should stop doing, but it was a, it was a great lesson, you know, and, and he probably cut through a lot of stuff uh that would have taken me years to figure out by being really direct with me you know and I appreciated that so I think you know if there if there's anything that I try to share with my students I'm just trying to be uh encouraging but honest and direct with what needs to happen move forward you know what I mean yeah 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 so
1: Give me kind of a timeline, you know, you were born in Hannibal, you've been on the coast, you played in Kansas City, now you're in Springfield. Give me kind of a timeline of how things began
2: when you moved and how you've ended up where you're at now. I'll see, I'll do my best with this because I'm an old man and I, I've not eaten yet, so my brain's <laughs> a little dull. So I was yeah. born in, uh, oh, this is this is something uh, I've told a couple people and they, they just, you know, my friend that's a great drummer in, in Kansas City, uh, Ryan Lee. You know right. Ryan, he and I oh, have yeah. the same birthday. We have the same birthday, Wonderful. and then I, I was telling him, I'm like, man, I was born in December '64, and he goes, yeah, you're that old. And I'm like, yeah, but but then I was born the same week that uh, Love Supreme was recorded, and I think a few days after that, Wayne Shorter recorded Speak No Evil on Christmas Eve '64. So I'm born between these two iconic. Recordings, that's a little nostalgia that makes me smile, but uh I was born yeah. in 64 and this, I graduated high school in 1983 and I went to I went to Mizzou when I was 18. It didn't last long because uh I wasn't really going to class. I was playing a lot, though. I was like studying music, which I've always done. I just wasn't studying. I wasn't going to class. So that lasted a year. But when I got to Columbia, I got in the jazz band at school, but I had met some guys at a high school band uh competition the year prior when I was a senior in high school. so when I got in jazz band, there was a kid from Columbia that was a horn player and he was playing a gig with these guys that had a blues band and they needed a drummer and I mean traditional blues band with the shuffling all night you know that that type blues band and uh, I got in a band, and that ended up being great—a great experience. There was a, a band—I don't—they're not playing now. Well, they might be playing some, but the guy that led the band died recently. It was a band called the Chump Change Band. They've played around. And there was a guitar player named Babe Martin, who—he was a blues player, but he was a great musician. I mean, killing. And I learned a lot playing with them. And so, from that time, like I. After I went to school at Missoula, I came to school at, uh, down here in Springfield. It was, back then it was called Southwest Missouri State University. And through those years I was just, uh, I really wasn't a good student. I was a, I was studying music but not going to class. And back then there was no jazz studies degree for me. So, uh, I was practicing all the time and playing in these like rock and R&B and blues bar bands basically. Um, And I I, want to say um, that whole uh, disappointment of being young back then and wanting to study jazz, like there were only a couple places in the country that were offering jazz education, you know, which is, uh, it's, it's sad in looking at our culture and realizing that our culture doesn't really have a lot of self-realization at least where the jazz art form is concerned and what i mean by that is it's uh it's funny that like often kids grow up um and they want to they're american kids and want to go to an american institution of higher learning and they would go especially back when i was coming up and you'd have to study european music when we have our own equivalence to Bach, Beethoven, and Mozart in American culture, you know what I mean? That said, when I was going to school here, I was not a music major. Um, I would have been had they had a jazz studies program at that point. Um, uh, I wasn't the most responsible kid, so my dad, as far as sending me away to like a long way away to music school, it just was probably not my best interest then, (laughs) you know what I mean? So Mm-hmm. I was I was going to school here, and uh, what year would this have been? Ninety-three. I was at my, I was went to Columbia to play a gig at that club that's still there, Murray's, and there was a guy uh, that I was playing a gig with. That I don't know if he's still on the faculty at North Texas, but he was a guy named Mike Steinel, and I went and did this gig with him, and he hooked me up with some students that had that were uh, some people that had just graduated grad school at North Texas that were, uh, they had a residency, like artists in residence at a liberal arts college in northeast Iowa, and that residency was through Chamber Music America and the National Endowment for the Arts, and that, that band is, is still playing, but after several personnel changes, the name of the band was the Unified Jazz Ensemble, and I joined that band, and we did residencies through uh National Endowment for the Arts and Chamber of Music in America for a few years. Like we were in Iowa, and then we we were working for a program called the Rural Arts Initiative, and we'd go to these communities and teach. And then the NEA would send us out on these gigs all over the place. And after that ended, in maybe '96 or '97, the band moved to DC. We had some educational opportunities to to work, and we all worked at night with different people. And when I moved there, I I got a lot of experience playing with a lot of a whole lot of different people, Uh and I moved out of I left the East Coast in '07, and I moved back here. I had some things going on in my life that I needed to come back here for. Um, went back to school, and my intention had always been to move back to the East Coast, but I got out of grad school and I got offered the job down here, and I and I took it because it's full time, you know.
1: So. You get the chance to be not only an educator, but you get to perform music. What's the greatest part of being involved with jazz on a daily basis? What do you like the best about it?
2: Man, it's it's like kind of a religion for me. And I tell my students this, and, and I don't know if they understand it yet, and hopefully they will, but a relationship with music over the long term, like I'm, I'll be 57 in December, and I've had a drum set since I was five, and all that time I've been very serious about it. You know, um, if there, if there are any greater mysteries that are revealed to me, generally they're revealed through my relationship with music. And it has to do with my being in alone in a room alone, practicing like that solitude that goes on. Um, and then also like in in my relationship with music, I've met the greatest people in my life. My best friends are, they just all seem to be artists and, uh, I think that those guys are all cut from a different cloth. Over time, it seems like w- with a long-term relationship with music, the, the the music teaches you about yourself. But that's kind of a hard uh, reality to articulate right now. I'd I'd have to think about that for a minute. But yeah, it's it's a it's a way of life. Uh, I can't imagine yeah. not doing it. You know, I mean, yeah, it's it's who I am. It's what I do, and. Um, whatever the multiverse is looking out for me because I'd have a hard time being happy doing anything else, really. I'd hate to say yeah, that no. I, need some, I need some external for joy, but it sure seems to come through my relationship with music, you know. And, and the, the teaching and the performing, is it's really the same thing. It's like to teach this music, at least for me, I have to be out playing it, working on my stuff all the time and i I'll tell you- now that you mentioned this, like through the pandemic, I'll tell you what I think that I learned. I think that over after all this time playing, I think I might have broken the ice on figuring out how to practice finally, because I'm sure musicians will understand this, but um for years i I just go in the room alone with the drums and play, but I wasn't really having always effective practicing. And I think that as long as you are, uh, you know, spending some time with your instrument alone, it's uh, nourishing, but then there's a, there's a way to go in and get more. Some days you can get a lot done in 10 minutes, and some days it takes maybe two hours, and you, for me at least, and I still don't get to anything. So all that alone time, just being in the ha- literally being in the house alone with the drums other than my girlfriend would be the only person I'd see. Um, for all that time through the pandemic, um, taught me something about practicing. But then the practicing is not even really about music now. There's a Wayne Shorter documentary that's on YouTube called The Language of the Unknown, and there's some quote in there where they ask him some question. He says, this music thing is not even really about music. It's about humanity is what he says, which is I completely understand what he means when he says that I might not have when I was younger, but I do now. Um, That's a great quote, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know,
1: now that you're getting back to live music and we're – what are you noticing about the crowds post-pandemic? I mean, we're in it, but we're getting out of it. But now that we're in this new era of listening to live music, what do you see the crowds and the musicians – how do you see them interacting?
2: Well, I know that musicians—we're all so glad to see each other, <laughs> for one thing, and we're glad to be playing. And, and you know, there's certain places I, I go play. I—I uh, I, I wouldn't know how to articulate this, but I can just—I can feel the enthusiasm. You know, like um, that's about all I can say. I, I can—I can tell yeah. that people seem to be starved for music, which is—and—and and, and once again, that kind of falls into what. Wayne Shorter's talking about because it's like nourishing to hear music and we all enjoy it but we really kind of need it like culture we can you imagine if we didn't have it like we we really need that relationship with sound vibrating into our bodies to be human beings I guess you know so mm -hmm. and and and, uh I just like to add to that whenever we experience that it's way better when it's live than somebody a dj or whatever like when you're there and it's being created and you can feel that sound on your body and that's one of the great human experiences there you know um on either side of it like if i were to get to go hear my favorite people now there's a nourishment to it and then when i get to go perform it's great and Lately I I I'm just I'm just glad to be playing. I wouldn't care if I was playing with some guys in first grade. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just happy to be playing yeah. right now. Yeah. yeah. So everyone has a perception or an idea of who they think you are. Your family, your friends, your fans, your students. But ultimately, you live your life. Who do you think you are? Oh man, I'm I'm trying to figure that out all the time, I guess. I'm I'm just um I'm thankful to do what I do. Um I hope to be like a, a good boyfriend to my lady uh a good friend to my friends a, a good next door neighbor i'd like to uh, bring something positive and shine a light wherever i go that's what i'm trying to do you know so uh that's that's what's most important to me and if, if there's any way that i i will say that I've that's something that i've learned from my relationship with music it's it's, it's like con- confronting this great mountain that this music was great before i was born it's going to be great when i'm gone i want to be a part of it And, and and in order to even scale that mountain a little bit there are certain traits that in ourselves that we need to overcome or shed in order to climb that mountain you know what i mean um i do so yeah I don't really know how to answer that, but
1: yeah, you answered it. That's great, mm-hmm. Marty. Man, thank you for opening up about your likes and music. Actually, I got one more question for you
2: mm-hmm. before
1: you go. What is the thing that you like the best about Kansas City?
2: Man, the vibe of the whole town. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, there's there's great restaurants there, and uh, man, my best many of my best friends live there. And when I come to town there, uh, it's. It's like I teach here all week, and then when I go up there, it's not just playing because I go there and there's certain guys that I see all the time, that, and, and we're friends and we talk on the phone, but it's the whole, for me, at least my trips there and back home, it's the whole ritual of the, of the whole thing. And, you know, I mean, it's a great city. I feel safe there. They've got great restaurants. Uh, it's getting around town's cool. It's not like I'm never getting caught in... Um, Traffic jams and stuff like I used to on the East Coast, um, and there's a there's definitely a, a commitment to preserve the jazz heritage there. There is, and and the and yeah. you, I can I can feel it from the audiences. I don't really feel it anywhere else in Missouri except there, like that. Yeah, I agree. I you hope know, the St. Louis people don't get mad at me for saying that. No. It's a it's a no. it, you know there's, there's guys from all over the world moving to Kansas City just to be a part of that jazz scenes because the the audiences are enthusiastic and there's a lot of places to play and the jazz community is uh there's really a brotherhood with with all the guys there you know so that's what i like about coming there you know i feel it too for sure Marty, thank you very
1: much for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz. Good luck with, as we move forward out of this pandemic, and I look forward to seeing more gigs with you.
0: Hope to see you soon, man. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Washington, D.C., Hannibal, Springfield, Kansas City, and spots all over Missouri and the world that give fans all that jazz. And thanks to Marty for his time and dedication to jazz. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com and for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
2: Neon Jazz.